Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Tonight we continue our exploration of the book of Habakkuk in chapter 2 with lead pastor Rex Johnson. Good evening everybody. Tonight we're going to go to the second part of this wonderful book of Habakkuk. I love, I love Habakkuk. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. Three small chapters, and last week we talked about wandering. Tonight we're going to talk about waiting. And next week we'll conclude with worship. Um, I appreciate you being here. Thank you for the privilege of preaching to you on this night. You may be seated. Your Honor, I object. Objection, Your Honor. I always wanted to say that. I thought it'd be fun, but I'm not a lawyer, so I cannot object. We love our attorneys at the church, but what you can do in a courtroom, sometimes you cannot do to the Almighty. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets from the Old Testament. His name means to embrace or to wrestle, and it is a book that is written with a judicial language. In fact, if you weren't here last week, let me review. Habakkuk was written in about the year 600 or so B.C., God told the prophet, tell your people I'm going to have to destroy them because they are wicked. And chances are Habakkuk might have said, well, you're right, they are. And that seems relatively fair. But God added a little twist at the end. He said, what I'm going to do is raise up Babylonians to destroy your people. And Habakkuk said, huh? Hang on a second, God. You're going to raise up whom? See, the Babylonians... They were much more evil than the people of Judah. And God said, I'm going to use these really evil people to destroy you lesser evil people. And Habakkuk basically said, objection, your honor, I object. In fact, as you read this book, it is written with a judicial language. And Habakkuk is going to say, God, you know I worship you and you know I'm going to honor you. But I'm taking you to court because I have evidence to prove that your actions are not just. And God, what you're doing does not seem fair. Today, if you're facing something and you say, I don't understand, God, you could do something about this. If I were you, I would, but you're not, and I don't understand. If you feel that way about situations today or maybe one day, then I'm certain the book of Habakkuk will speak to you. The question we're going to wrestle with today is, what do you do when you're in the dip? If you weren't here last week, let me show you what the dip is. Actually, Seth Godin wrote a book called The Dip, and so I'll use his chart, but we'll use it for an entirely different teaching. It looks like this. You'll see on the screen, The Dip. The beginning point may be someone who does not yet know Christ, and they're not in a relationship with God, but yet one day, by the power of the Holy Ghost, God reveals himself to them, and they call out on forgiveness. And by the grace of Jesus Christ, because it's by grace through faith that we're saved, they're born anew, and their whole world turns upside down or right side up, and they're forgiven. And there's this huge spiritual rush of adrenaline and excitement, and God starts answering prayers. And whenever they pull up at stoplights, all all the stoplights turn green, and God just smiles on them and says, isn't that incredible? And it's a high of a person who just met the grace of God. Then, unfortunately, life continues, and after a while, this on-fire, excited believer may go through some more difficult times and end up right here tonight. Maybe God didn't answer a prayer. They lost their job. Or maybe they just started to struggle with certain sins that came back and wouldn't leave them alone. Or maybe their kids started making bad decisions. Or maybe there was something that 
felt like God could do, that God should do, and everything would be okay, but God didn't. And all of a sudden, they're right here saying, wait a minute, God. I thought you were going to be like this, but now you're not doing what you could. And they enter into what I call this crisis of belief. Now, wait a minute. I thought it was going to be like this, God. Why aren't you doing what I know you could do? And when a person enters into a crisis of belief, there's one of two very common reactions. The first is a person wants to go back to that last spiritual high. They want to literally go back and get on that high that they received when they first came to know the Lord and was filled with the Spirit. They want to say, basically, I'm going to pretend like this isn't happening. If we can just go back to this point, then everything's going to be okay. Or what a lot of people do is they say, okay, God, if you're not going to do what I know you could do, then forget you. Remember, Habakkuk actually means to embrace or to wrestle. And if this person who comes to the point of crisis in their faith will continue to embrace God or even wrestle with him through the difficult times, things may not get better yet. They may even continue to get worse. But the believer can live out the New Testament principle where the book of James says, it's on the screen, to consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work, making you mature and complete so that you do not lack anything. In fact, if you look very closely at those who are closest to God, there are often those who have been through the most difficult times and God has proven himself faithful. So what do you do when you're in the dip? Let the prophet speak to you of things to do while you're in the dip. There's three things that come from the first three verses of Habakkuk chapter 2. And here's what the prophet says. He's just heard the news that God's going to destroy his people. And he's using the evil Babylonians. And so he says, okay, here's my plan. Verse 1 on the screen. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Verse 2, the Lord replied, Write down the revelation. Make it plain on the tablets so that a herald may run with it. Verse 3, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and will not prove false. And though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Amen. So what do you do when you're in the dip? What do you do when you're struggling and you know that God could do something, but he's not? And he just doesn't seem fair and life just doesn't make sense. And you're wondering, God, where are you? Well, the first thing you do, write this down, put this on your refrigerator. You got to stop and listen. We stop and listen. Look at what Habakkuk did. Basically, he said, God, I don't like this. I'm complaining to you. And the beautiful thing is God seemed to respectfully hear this. It was as if God was saying, sure, you're allowed to wrestle with me. And Habakkuk says, I don't like what you're doing. I've stated my case. Now, God, it's your turn to reply. I need some answers. God, what do you have to say for yourself? Verse 1, Habakkuk said, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. In other words, he said, I'm going to climb up the wall and I'm going to look to see what God is doing and I will look to see what God will say to me. 
literally saying, God, what's going on here? Too often, folks, what we do is we just whine about life. Many of us never stop to listen. God, what are you saying? See, there's a beautiful thing about God. It's on the screen. God is a relational God who loves to speak to his, ch his children, his kids. How will he speak? He speaks all kinds of ways. He can speak audibly. He can speak through his word. He can speak to you through your circumstances. He can speak to you through other people. And God will often speak to you, and sometimes he won't because he's God. Now, here's the deal. If you'll listen to him, and if he does speak to you, you may not like what he says. Habakkuk, you're not going to like it. Well, God, that wasn't what I was looking for. But at least when he speaks, you will know exactly where God stands. And so you stop and say, God, I don't understand. I don't like it. This doesn't make sense. But speak. If you just listen, I promise you, God will often speak to you. He may say something that you don't like, but you know where, he st where you stand, and you know what God is up to. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had what is known as a thorn in his side or in his flesh, and he prayed over and over again in God. He said, I know you can do something about it. Please do. Take it away. Remove it. And three times he begged, God, I'm pleading with you. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. And God said, basically, I could. But, Paul, I've decided not to. No, my answer to you is no. Why? Because I'm going to do something even better than take it away. And you may not understand, but I'm going to teach you that my grace is all that you need. And when you don't understand, and when you're in the dip, and you stop and you listen and let God speak to you, the first thing you do when you're in the dip is you listen. The second thing, that you do in the dip is you write. You write what God shows you. Habakkuk said, where are you? What's going on? And God said, you want to know Habakkuk? Take notes. Write this down. Okay, what's God said in verse 2? The Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Why does God want us to write it down? He said to Habakkuk, years later, Hear this, Habakkuk, when I prove myself just and true, I want it in writing so everyone can see that I am a God of my word. Hallelujah. It is also for our benefit, too, because if you're like me and your wife has ever sent you to a grocery store with maybe three things to remember, something happens on the way between the house and the grocery store. In fact, my wife is just hearing this for the first time. But when I get to a grocery store with a list of 12 or 14 things, I find one of those little grocery store clerks and a nice man or a nice lady, and they lead me around and show me where everything is, and they help me shop. But Satan messes up your mind, and you, and you, can, and, and you can mess it up, even though you're, you've only got two or three things to remember. But when God speaks to you, record it, because your spiritual enemy is an expert at stealing the seeds of truth that God wants to plant. He wants to steal the seeds during the night so that nothing will grow in your world. God may show you something, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. Where you know I'm wrestling with something, I don't understand. I'm praying, God, tell me something. God, what's going on? And I wah, 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 and I feel like God shows me something. And I say, okay, that was obviously from God, but if I don't write it down like an hour later, I say, well, I think that was probably from God. And then a week later, I say, well, I don't know. I just might have had too much pizza that night. 
you know, indigestion. That probably wasn't God. And the thoughts begin to vanish in my mind. I need to write it down. And when I write it down, it becomes a spiritual anchor that, yes, I believe that God has spoken, and I've got a reference point to go back to. For instance, I was evangelized in 1975, and I came to Austin, and I kept the church for the pastor here, Wally and his wife, and his kids took a sabbatical. We stayed six or seven weeks, and I told my wife then, I said, write it down. I would love to be here one day, God willing, and we wrote it down. We'd love to be in Austin. In 1989, 14 years later, I came to Lake Travis on vacation. Wife and I talked about this beautiful city again. We wrote it down when I got I wrote it down when I got home. God Austin is still a nice place. Would enjoy working there for you. In 1990, the call came. A church in Austin needs a pastor. Would I be interested? Kind of hard not to show emotion. Yeah, that would be nice. Austin, huh? I thought about that place a few times, huh? Like for 15 long years. As little as this, 2009, PJ and I are on an anniversary trip. We always write our New Year's resolutions. We put bucket lists down, both spiritual and physical. And on my bucket list for the physical, I wrote in 2009, I'd like to go to the Masters Golf Tournament. I came home six days later, and on a Wednesday night, a man walked in the church I'd never met, didn't know, from South Carolina, and he invites me. He invites me. He invites me to the Masters. It was small, I know, but it was powerful, and I wrote it down. I didn't go that year because Easter was on the end of the Master, so I waited till next year, and he still had the tickets for me in 2010. And because I wrote something down, it came to pass. I encourage you as a child of God when God speaks to you and God gives you something, write it down and prove that God is true to his word down the road. Not only do you need to listen, not only do you need to write, you need to wait. That's awkward, isn't it? I mean, you ought to be me. I'm not a waiting person. No one waits easily. No one wants silence. This is great stuff. You want movement and just to wait on me for 20 seconds to say something like, oh, ah, uh, you know, because we are so into instant returns, instant gratification. Many of us, we don't like to wait. If I pause 20 seconds on this program right now, some of you would think that the program was messed up, that I had lost my mind. And so if I just pause, some of you would say, oh, God, he's passed out. No, it's just about a five-second wait there, and we, we can't follow it sometimes. We don't want to wait. But God says the revelation awaits, I love this, an appointed time. It speaks of an end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, though it tarries, wait for it, and it will certainly come and will not delay. When God promises, hear me, he provides, you can take his promise to the bank. So some of you are in the waiting zone, and you believe God has shown you something, and you've recorded it, and now you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're afraid it will not come to pass. Remember this. Put this on your refrigerator. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not his denials. When God has promised something, it will come to pass. Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver God's people to rebuild a nation. 
Then Moses goes on a 40-year wandering tour. 40 years? That's like 200 and something cat years, which couldn't be good for anything at all. But 40, 40 years? What does he do? He just waits and waits and waits and waits. And then one day God brings it to pass. Joseph, God said, you're going to be a great leader. What happens? His brother beat the fire. His brothers beat the fire out of him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. He spends two years in prison, and it's years before God fulfills the promise and elevates him to second in charge over all of Egypt. The apostle Paul has a vision. He meets Christ. He's transformed. He sees the Lord. He says, "I'm called to preach. That's what I'm here to do. That's all. I'm compelled to preach the gospel." This is one thing I'm here to do. And it's 13 years, folks, 13 years before he ever says, open your Bibles and turn to this passage. 13 years before he gets to preach his very first message. You sometimes, you just wait. And here's what happens. A lot of people think, okay, I'm waiting. So I'm stuck right here. And when they think of waiting, they think of no movement. But what does a waiter do? What does a waiter do? What does a person who waits do? They serve. Here's what you do when you're waiting. You serve the Lord the whole time. It doesn't mean there's no movement. In fact, there may be more movement when you're waiting than before. You are serving the Lord. Whatever you do, you do it unto the glory of God. You continue to wait on him, and you serve him. Even when you don't understand, you continue to serve him. You wait on him, and you serve him. And at the appointed time, the Hebrew word for the appointed time is the word moed, M-O-W-E-D, pronounced moed. It means an appointment. It means an affixed time, an appointment and a fixed time. And at the moed, it is coming. It's kind of like a woman who is nine months expectant, nine months pregnant. When it's time, it's time. You can't stop it. I remember when Kate was born, there were no doctors in the room with Patty and I, and honest to goodness, and Patty said, the baby's coming. I said, oh, no, 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 it can't. The baby can't come. The doctors are not here. She said, well, they may not be here, honey, but this baby's coming. And while I was putting on my gloves, thought I was going to be the doctor, I went out to the hall of the maternity ward and I shouted, does anybody here know how to deliver a baby? Anyone. And a nurse, an RN nurse, followed me into the room. Hello, Miss Johnson. I'm here to deliver the baby. The baby came. When it's the moed, when it is the moed, when that, what that means is when there is nothing you can do to speed it up because it's God's time. But there's nothing anyone else can do to slow it down because it's God's time. You've got to wait for it. You've got to wait for it. You've got to wait for it. You want to know how long Habakkuk waited for it? A long, long, long time. In fact, most of his people didn't even get to see it come about. It happened in the next generation when God's promise was fulfilled. Even if you do not see his promises fulfilled, they will be fulfilled because God's word, hear me, God's word is absolutely true. Some of you right now, you're in a, you're in a waiting zone. You're in the dip. I want to read the Living Bible to you. Listen to this. The Living Bible says, These things I plan. God, say, God says they won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when division will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Hallelujah. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. 
God says, Habakkuk, do this. Listen, I'm going to speak to you, take notes, and then wait. And what you're going to say is that I understand that the Babylonians are bad and you think they need to get theirs. Well, they are going to. When I am ready, they're going to get it, and it's not going to be good. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you do something wrong and your mom says, wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> you ever had that happen to you? You know, it used to scare the fire out of me. I don't think my dad ever did anything to me, but it was just the wait until he gets home. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I better pray to Jesus right now because it's just a, and basically, that's what God is saying. You just wait because I'm the Heavenly Father who is righteous and just, and they will get their due punishment for their sins. Here's how God says it. Verse 4, see, he is puffed up. He thinks it's all about him. He's saying, Babylon is saying, we don't need to follow God's rules. We got it all together. We got it figured out. We, God's stuff doesn't apply to us. They're saying his desires are not upright. If you'll skip ahead and read verse 6 through 19, Read this on your own time because we don't have time to go into all of it here this evening. But what you're going to find out is that God very boldly issues five woes to Babylon. And what he's going to say is, I know what they're going, what they're doing, and I'm going to tell you exactly how I'm going to punish them. And I'll just give you the high points. Verse 6, God's speaking to the Babylonians who are thieves. And he says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods. Verse 9, he speaks to the cheaters or the deceivers, and he says, Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. You're going to get what's coming to you, guys. Verse 12, he's talking to the violent ones, and he says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. Verse 15, he's talking to the partiers. Yeah, the partiers. He says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors that in Coca-Cola and their water. Verse 19, he's talking to the idolaters, those who believe that their meaning is going to come from things of this world. And he says, woe to him who says to wood or objects, come to life. You're going to fulfill me. You're going to satisfy me. And God says, in my time, wait for it, and you'll see it. That's my punishment is absolutely just. They'll get what's coming to them. Wait for it. Wait for it. My word is good, says the Lord. And I want to say today that God's word is still as good as it was when he talked to Habakkuk in 600 B.C. Let's look at verse 4 one more time, and we'll pick up the second part of the verse this time. Key verse in all the book of Habakkuk. Here's what Scripture says. God says, see Babylon? What are they? They are. They're puffed up. His desires are not upright. But there's another group of people, God says, that I call the righteous. But the righteous, how will they live? Chapter 2, verse 4, the last part, the righteous will live by faith. Not by what they see, not by what's going on around them, but instead the righteous, no matter what is happening, they will live by faith. What will they have faith in? Whatever God has said. They have listened, they have recorded, and believing God has spoken. And they will have faith to wait on God to fulfill his promises. Even when life looks like it's going backwards and down. Even when it doesn't make sense. And even when everyone else says you should forsake God. He's not coming through for you. The righteous will not live by what they see. They will live by faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ever want to see your faith built? Read the chapter. Read Hebrews chapter 11. 
It's a faith chapter. It lists all kinds of people who live by faith. By faith, we believe the world was formed at God's command. By faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham and Sarah were past the age of childbearing, but God brought them a son. By faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac. By faith, the people of God marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. By faith, the people of God walked through the Red Sea and it parted on both sides. The righteous, the just, will live by faith. So when God promises, no, he can provide. He will provide. It's just a matter of time. Birth or adoption. Some people say, I can't have children. Let me tell you something. Birth or adoption, it will come to pass. Whatever you're giving, and you feel like maybe you don't have enough money left for the rest of the month, but you've been obedient to God's word by faith, you believe that God will be your provider. Whenever your marriage is falling apart, and everyone says, well, you might as well get a divorce. No, I remember the vows we made. By faith, I believe that all things are possible with God. Whenever your kids are making the wrong decisions and everyone says, oh man, they're going to kill themselves. They're going to be a mess. And you believe by faith that God's working in their lives to bring about good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So whatever happens from having children to having kids that are not right, whatever happens when in your lifetime you still don't see what you believe God promised, there's three words that you have to remember, and you never can let go of these three words. And here it is in verse 20. But the Lord, but the Lord, even though I understand, and even though I don't like it, and even though I don't really want to believe that this is what's going to happen, Habakkuk says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is still in charge. Hallelujah. But the Lord, he's good. But the Lord, he's righteous. But the Lord, he is true. But the Lord is still here. Even though everything else says what I don't want to see, but the Lord is in his holy temple. And he says, let all the earth be silent before him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon. And they said, I don't know. Nebuchadnezzar is telling us to bow down and worship or he'd throw us in a fiery furnace. He said, we're going to die. But we believe God will deliver us. We believe God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We will still believe. Why? Because we believe the Lord is in his temple. And because he is still on the throne. And I will live by faith. So what do you do when you're in the dip? You listen. You record it. And you wait. With everything in you. Living by faith. Because the Lord is in his holy temple. Magnify the Lord in your own hearts today because you have a God that is still in his holy temple. God bless the words to your heart. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.